0: The Gospel of John, chapter 4. Reading this morning through verse 10. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful this morning for the opportunity to come to gather together as your church. To sing your praises, to be able to worship you with our giving and with our prayers. And we now desire to worship you through the ministry and the exposition of your word. And so we ask, Lord, that you would superintend this Time of preaching by your spirit and that you would speak to our hearts through this your word. We ask Lord that you would glorify yourself. We lift you up high above all others. You are worthy of our worship and we desire to love you more this morning. So bless, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, the last time we were in this passage, we saw that Jesus was sitting by the well that had been dug by Jacob. He sat down to rest himself because he was tired. He had become tired and weary from the journey. If you recall, he went through Samaria, not down by the lowlands, the flatlands of the Jordan River Basin, but up through the mountainous, hilly countryside of Samaria. We often think of Jesus as a, when we think about Christ, when you don't normally think about him as one who overcame all the elements and the, the things that other people Seem to be caught in weariness and tired and hunger and thirst and all of those things that we as human beings are able to experience. We don't think about Jesus in those terms very often. But here we have a picture of the Lord and we find that he is weary. He is tired out from his journey he was certainly god 100% god but we we often forget that he was also 100% human as well yet without sin commentator gerald brochart writes it is absolutely crucial to recognize that all the gospel writers were fully aware of the humanity of jesus The strategic Christian doctrine of the Incarnation is not merely a theological assertion about the deity of Jesus. It is equally a theological assertion about his humanity. Heretical tendencies result when either element is omitted or submerged. Jesus was really a mortal who experienced the bodily weaknesses of human beings. Even though he did not suffer the curse of sin. So it was a long day of walking, a long day of travel, a hard day. And so he needed, the point here is that he needed to rest. In fact, he would have been, he would have been. More worn out than his disciples, because he experienced a greater level of mental strain than they did. He would have he would have been constantly on guard for self-denials, such that he would not free himself from the things that his brethren suffered. Heat exhaustion, hunger, thirst. All these, he has become, in all those things, he's become one who sympathizes with our defects and our infirmities. He knows what it is to be tired and exhausted. He knows what it is to feel hunger pains and to thirst and have a dry mouth. It's interesting that two times in scripture, Jesus is said to thirst. This is one of them. And the other is as he was hanging upon the cross. And he cried out, I'm thirsty. So he can not only sympathize with, with our infirmities and our hard work. But he also can empathize with the aches and the pains Of this flesh and bone that we live in. Because he had flesh and bone as well. See, touch me. See that I am flesh and bone. Jesus will always be a human being. And yet a glorified one. He understands these things. He understands the stresses and the strains of mental exhaustion. But there is a weariness that Jesus experiences that goes far beyond the normal human encounter. It is a weariness of a spiritual dimension that you nor I can even begin to understand. We get glimpses of it from time to time. Jesus experiences it to the very depths of His being. He could just give you an idea of Of some of these things. He grows weary. He grows weary with our sin. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 24. But you have burdened me, God says, with your sins. You have wearied me in your iniquities. Jesus feels these things when we sin, He goes weary. He is wearied with our insincere, duty-filled worship. Hmm. We should think about the state of mind and heart that we're in when we come into this place to worship together. Certainly any time that we think about the Lord or, or worshiping the Lord even individually, but especially when we come corporately together, he writes in Isaiah 114, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. Why did he hate them? They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them, he says. Why? Because they, were, they weren't worshiping the right way. Their hearts were far off. Oh, we can go through the mode and the, and the motions of worship. He becomes weary. Number three, he is wearied with our unbelief and rebellion and resistance against the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Malachi chapter 2 verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. They accused the Lord... Of favoring the evil. Rather than the righteous. Have we ever been guilty of that? Excuse me. Isaiah 63 verse 10. But they rebelled. And grieved his Holy Spirit. Yes Jesus is wearied. With sin and unbelief and rebellion. But in spite of all of this. In spite of all of that, he waits and is ever willing to seek out and receive those he came to save. The late Dr. James Boyce writes, Here was a Jesus who was wearied in his search for sinners and who had become thirsty Seeking those whom he was to offer the water of life. <clears throat> this is what bring, this brings us to the next part of this narrative in verse seven and following, where we see this woman from Samaria, this from the city of Sychar, coming to draw water <clears throat> from the well where Jesus is. There's a striking contrast in this story and the previous story in chapter 3 of Nicodemus. For example, Nicodemus came to see Jesus under cover of darkness at night. Here, it is high noon, the brightest and hottest time of the day. Nicodemus was a devoutly religious Jew... This, this woman is an immoral Samarian. Nicodemus was a learned theologian. She is an uneducated peasant. Nicodemus recognized Jesus as a great teacher. She has no clue as to who Jesus is. Nicodemus was a wealthy man this woman was very poor and Nicodemus was of the social elite of Israel she is from the dregs of Samaritan society quite a comparison what's the point <clears throat> the point is is that Jesus came for both he came to save the up and the outers and the down in the outers he came to save the rich And the poor alike. However, it is to the poor that the gospel reaches the most. Jesus said, preach it to the poor and the outcast. So it is high noon. No doubt the sun is bearing down now. And his disciples have gone into the city to buy food. Verse 8 tells us, which, by the way, was by God's providence that they went into the city to buy food. Talk about that here in just a moment. Jesus is sitting on the well, resting himself. He is dusty and thirsty when he hears footsteps approaching. It is interesting that the Lord stopped at this particular well. Because there were several wells and springs of water around that area that he could have stopped at. But he had to stop at this well. Just like he had to go through Samaria. This is why the woman came alone to the well. The custom was that women would normally come together to the wells to draw water, and they came at a certain time of the day collectively. There was safety in it, and there was social life in it. Genesis chapter 24 verse 11 tells of Abraham's servant. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening. The time when the women go out to draw water. So it was a common custom that they all went out together at one point in the evening. They would draw water for the evening and then to the next day. And so this woman we find coming in the middle of the day, not in the evening. But in the middle of the day, at the hottest time, alone, by herself. Possibly. There's some reasons why that she came alone. I think the first reason is that she had an appointment with the water of life. And it needed to be just the two of them. Second, I think that uh, probably the women of the city did not want to associate with this woman because of her lifestyle. Everyone would have known who she was, what she had done, and what she was doing. And so probably they didn't want to be, uh, be around her. So she braves the heat. To avoid the hostility and the scorn of the other women by coming at noon. Her purpose for coming was to draw water. This was a common everyday task. You and I, we have no idea what it would be like. I can remember as a little boy, my grandpa, I must have been only about five years old, but it's a vivid memory. My grandpa took me to one of my great aunts and uncles' houses on a farm, and there was a great wash tub filled with water and a dipper hanging off the side. And everybody dipped into the tub and drank water from it. Nobody cared that the person before them had done that. And I remember grandpa telling me to dip some water for myself, and so I dipped it and I drank a little out of the dipper and then I just poured it out on the porch. And that that must have caused some people to laugh or something. And I remember crying because they were laughing. There was no running water. They went to the well. Filled the tub up every day with fresh water. You and I just... Turn on the faucet whenever we need it. And we are very fortunate in doing so. What was not customary was a Jewish man sitting at this well in Samaria. Most Jews would have taken the eastern route around the eastern side of the Jordan to avoid any kind of confrontation With their neighbors in Samaria. to, To whom they were hostile. Is it not often true that we seek to avoid those that we are hostile towards? That we have problems with? We go out of our way to avoid them. But not Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't go out of his way to avoid you? When you, as his enemy, were lost in sin? Just like this woman of Samaria. Aren't you glad that he came to where you were? And opened himself up to you? Jeffrey Bull, a missionary to China, who was imprisoned on the Tibetan border from 1950 to 1953, But later released remarks of this aspect of Jesus' encounter with the woman. This is what he says: If she could have just seen then what Jesus saw, she would have glimpsed another noonday when the sun would mourn in blackness, and that this same stranger cry out from the cross, "I thirst." She would have seen him in the shadow of a great rock, and as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land, the smitten Christ from whom the living waters flow. He was thirstier than she knew. He was speaking for the very heart of God. He was moving in the travail of his soul and looked for satisfaction in the restoration of this sin-scarred woman. Put yourself in her place, for that is you and that is me. When we were thirsty, when we languished in sin, parched, and the water of life came to where we were. This was a divine appointment with the living water. She didn't seek Him, but He sought her. It's a very important point. This is ever true. No one ever seeks out Christ. In fact, our norm is to run from Him, to get away from Him. I remember Ray Comfort interviewing a guy on the Santa Monica Pier, asking him if he knew about God. And the guy said, yeah, I know about God, and I'm trying to get away from Him just as far as I can. Well, at least that's honest. But that's true of every single one of us. We weren't running to Jesus. We were running away from him, and he was running after us. He came to us. Someone may say, Well, she just happened to be at the well. And Jesus just happened to stop there to get rest. No. It was no happen there was no chance happening in it. This was a divine appointment planned and executed by the Heavenly Father from all eternity. And it was the same with you and me. The same with you and me. Only the circumstances change. For example, we have Ruth. Who left her people in Moab to follow Naomi. She just happened to be in the right field at the right time for Boaz to come by and see her. No. She was there by divine appointment. Ruth chapter 2 verse 3. Now there were four barriers that stood between Christ and this woman. Which we will look at in due course. First, there was the religious barrier. Certainly different religious views between the Jews and the Samaritans. We'll talk about that when we get to it. There was a gender barrier. Oh my goodness. Are there gender barriers in our day? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) there certainly are. And they're growing worse by the day. Even a candidate for the Supreme Court of the United States does not know what a woman is. Is that sad? No, I'm not a biologist, she said. You don't have to be a biologist. All you have to do is open your eyes. There are differences. There was also a racial barrier. The Jews looked at the Samaritans as a half-breed race that didn't deserve to be called the people of God. Then there was a moral barrier. This woman was laden with sin. Over and over again. If Samaritans were to be saved, then Jesus had to go and find them in Samaria. Samaria. The firefighter who gets a word of a fire across town might say, Oh, we'll just fight the fire from here in our station on the other side of town. But that doesn't work. The firefighter has to go to the fire, to the house that's on fire, and put the fire out. He cannot say, We'll sit back over here and work work it from here. It doesn't work that way. So if we're going to reach people with the gospel, we can't just sit back here in Big Lake and say, well, we'll reach them from here. No, we have to go to them. We have to go to them across the street. We have to go to them uh, across... The city, we have to go to them across the nation and across the world. We have to go where the people are that God desires to send us to. That's why we support missionaries. Because people are not saved unless the gospel comes to them and they hear it and believe. And so Jesus went to where she was. Notice in verse 8, he says to her, give me a drink. Now that sounds like a command, and it is, but it was a respectful command. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a belligerent, I'm better than you, I'm a man, you're a woman, give me a drink. Jesus never spoke to women in that way. In fact, everywhere that Jesus went, he, he uplifted women. He didn't put them down. The Jewish people, in, G- in the Jewish culture, women were second-class, third-class people. The ortho- the, the, Jew, the Orthodox Jew, would pray, "God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile or a woman." So they had very little respect for women. I find it interesting that many times the people who came to Christ and whom Christ went to were women. Someone has said the most uncommon person of all has a very common need. Give me, give me a drink. It was a plea. A simple request. But in this simple request, Jesus reveals her need, but also discloses His own divine nature as the Messiah, as God's Son. The request was a shocking departure from the social custom and norm of the day. A Jew would never speak to a woman in public or in private, for that matter. He would always speak to men. Jesus speaks to this woman. And not just to any woman. A Samaritan woman. One that was outcast by the Jews and one that was outcast by her own people. The Jews, it said, has no dealings with the Samaritans, especially women. So, why did she ask Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? Why did she ask him that? John explains the reason and gives the answer to her question, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now we think of the word dealings in a more of a business fashion or more of a social fashion, <clears throat> but that's not what the word dealings has in mind here. Having no dealings could possibly be uh, no dealings because of a past failure. We're talking about ourselves now. Why don't we deal with some people? Past failures, unfair business ventures, someone who departs from the acceptable social construct of the day. It could be because of religion or race or background. There are legitimate and false reasons for the actions of people in dealing with each other in every case. It's difficult for us to understand the social and ceremonial taboos of the Jews associating with the Samaritans. The Jews wouldn't step foot in Samaria, much less associate with them in any form. But this goes even deeper than that. Alfred Edersheim, in his book... The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah quotes a rabbi from Caesarea stating this. May I never set eyes on a Samaritan or else may I never be thrown into company with him. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritan. The declaration of the Jews at that time was this. To partake of their bread was like eating swine's flesh. It was seen as very defiled. It would be like us eating a rat or a snake. Although some snakes are probably pretty good. There was much, there was so much hate for Jesus and the Samaritans that the Jews accused Jesus of being a Samaritan. John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Hmm. Tremendous hate. But Jesus was not concerned with social stigmas. He did not care what people thought about whom he talked to. Or how he associated with someone. We see it all through the Gospels. He was the friend of sinners. And publicans. He ate with them. The word dealings <clears throat> has to do with the idea of defilement the jews believed that they would be defiled by going into samaria or by talking to a samaritan but even worse than that this word indicates that there was an association that was closer and more intimate than just about in, just about any other association one can make with another And that was to eat with them and use the same utensils that they use. Eating with someone is a very intimate thing. And so to eat with their utensils or to drink from the same cups or pots that they drink out of would have been... A defilement. In such a case, one would obviously be in company with and associating with and dealing with her. Jesus asked her for a drink. What's he going to drink out of? Her pot. Whatever she's dipping water with. A Jew would never do that. But Jesus did. In fact, Jesus says when you go into one's company... And they set food and drink before you. Eat and drink asking no questions. That is difficult in some cases. Passively she would be supplying him with the vessel to drink from. But Jesus was not worried about being defiled. Because he could not be defiled from any earthly means Turn with me to Luke chapter 7 <clears throat> Just a couple of illustrations to show this Jesus was not defiled by any earthly means Look at verses 12 to 15 And as he drew near to the gate of the town behold a man who had been who had died "...was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and touched the bear." Or the beer, I think it's pronounced. He touched the beer... And the bearers stood still. And the young, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus touched the dead. That was absolutely forbidden to touch a dead body. You would be defiled by touching a dead corpse. But Jesus did not care about such things, for he could not be defiled by doing so. Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. This is probably the worst of all in that culture. Verse 2, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I love that statement. If you will, you can. Oh, the Lord can do anything, can he not? We just need to know if he will. What is his will? If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he did what? He touched him. You never touch a leper. Unless you want to get leprosy. But Jesus could not be defiled with with his leprosy. He said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Her astonishment at the fact that Jesus would ask her for water and drink from her pot made her hesitate in fulfilling the request. In fact, we're not told that he ever got a drink from her. Jesus turned the conversation immediately from the physical to the spiritual. At first, Jesus is the thirsty one, and she had the water. But then, he was the one with the water, and she became the thirsty one. So in verse 10, Jesus says to her, If you knew the gift of God, (coughs) and who it was, who it is, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you. Living water. Living water. There is a definite connection, a definite connection between the gift of God and living water. In other words, the living water is the gift of God. It is Christ Himself. It is salvation in Christ Jesus. That's the living water. Jesus is the quencher of thirsty souls. Insomuch that he made the statement anyone who drinks this water that I will give him will never thirst again. Can you imagine taking one drink of water and never becoming thirsty again? It's impossible in a physical sense, but it is certainly possible spiritually. Because he goes on to explain later on in this passage that it becomes a spring in a person welling up into life. This living water. It has life in it. <clears throat> water in the scriptures is almost always used as a metaphor for life, It describes spiritual cleansing, even from an Old Testament standpoint. Listen to these passages. I'll not have you turn to them. Just listen to each one of them. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. Jeremiah 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be, <clears throat> shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. Isaiah 12.3 With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Ezekiel 36.25 I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all of your uncleanness. Isaiah 55 verse 1 Come everyone who thirsts and come to the waters. There's life in water. You can't go very long without water. And so John applies these metaphors to Jesus, and Jesus confesses them of himself. If you'd asked me, I would have given you living water. Paul uses that same symbolism in Ephesians chapter five verse 26. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. It's found in Revelation chapter 22 verse 1 and verse 7. Where it talks about drinking from the river of life. The river that runs in the new Jerusalem. Sparkling pure. Jesus is the water of life. And everyone who drinks of Him. Will never thirst. He alone has the ability to satisfy the parched soul dying in the desert of sin. Or I should should I say dead in the desert of sin. It's more accurate. I say this to you, not knowing all of you. But if you meet him at the well, He'll give you living water. If you do what this woman did and confess your sin to Him and repent of them, He will give you living water. And in doing so, He gives you Himself. He is the living water. If you see that today and you don't know Him, it isn't that you've come to Him. It's that He's come to you. And He has sought you out. Surrender to Him. As believers today, maybe you've gotten a little thirsty. And you need to fresh, freshly drink of the water of life Again, as a believer, you can do that. And you can find the satisfaction that only comes from the water of life himself. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day and for the Word of God that you've given to us. We love you. We desire to follow you. We desire to drink deeply from you and Lord you've promised that if we would ask you would give us living water and you did you have Lord help us to continue to drink and find that satisfaction of soul that comes only from the living water. We pray you would do your work in all of our hearts, in your way, and by your will, through your spirit, from your word, in Jesus' name, amen.